What do you want of me? Get off my world. Get off my world. It belongs to me. If you can't handle rejection, then I think you better leave. You can call us fanatics, but the truth is we're hardcore. We love Belongs to me. Get out my world. It belongs to me. I just do the best I can. Hi, everyone. Thank you for coming. Uh, we are Get Off My World, a local Twin Cities Doctor Who podcast. Uh, I'm Pat. I'm Kelvin. I'm Joshua. And I'm Aaron. And we're happy to be here at Console Room 2019. Thanks for being our audience. Thank you. Warm bodies. <laughs> so there's a thing about us, you might have noticed, in that we're all middle-aged, except for the guy at the end. And along with this comes a certain amount of crabbiness about all things. And that can translate even to things that we love, like Doctor Who. So this is why at the top of each podcast episode or each panel performance, we like to do something we call temporal grace, in which we all share something that we love about our favorite show. So in this particular case, we're going to fuse that along with a little bit of an introduction as to who we all are. And so I'm Pat Harrigan. I'm a local writer and editor, and I do spoken word performance stuff around town. And I grew up on Doctor Who. I grew up on Tom Baker first, and then Peter Davison. And so possibly there's a, a warm space in my heart for that period of Doctor Who above all things. But these days, I think I have to say that my favorite doctor is Peter Capaldi. As unusual as some of the choice might seem and how bad some of the episodes were, I just think that he is what I look for in a doctor. Calvin? Yep, I'm Kelvin Hatley. Uh, I am a local writer and actor. I was most recently in something called A Klingon Christmas Carol, uh, which is a uh, based on a property that is not Doctor Who. <laughs> um, I have the worst time picking favorites. But it's not really your wheelhouse. It's not, it's not really my wheelhouse to have like, clear, defined top ten lists and things. But I, Why are you on a podcast? I really don't know. <laughs> um, I grew up in southern Minnesota, so I was able to get Iowa Public Television where I grew up. And Iowa Public Television was, for whatever reason, the first place in America that showed Doctor Who. And they actually started with the Pertwee episodes when they were... Not brand new, but newer. So, like, I, I do dimly recall watching Third Doctor stuff when I was, you know, early pubescent. Uh, and I do kind of think of the early Tom Baker area as kind of like my home zone with Doctor Who. <laughs> so, yeah, my favorite doctors are probably the Fourth Doctor and and the Second Doctor. Thanks, thanks for getting us there. Yeah, <laughs> you did great. You made the other doctors cry, but that's fine. Um, <laughs> Uh, my name is Joshua English Scrimshaw, and I am a local uh, writer, actor, producer of comic things. Um, I grew up watching Doctor Who, a lot of Doctor Who. Um, one of my other podcasts and theatrical endeavors is the Mysterious Old Radio Listening Society. I am a great lover of old-time radio, um, so it's no surprise that I also really love Big Finish, which shockingly has been around for 20 years 
this year. So those are some of my loves, and I want to put the classic series and the new series together to decide who my favorite doctor is, but I, I really always separate them in my mind. There's this huge abyss. Um, so I'm going to say my favorite classic series doctor just still has to be Tom Baker for lasting power and the revisiting joy he always brings me. And I agree with Pat on Peter Capaldi for hands down the best new series doctor. I am Aaron English Scrimshaw. Uh, I would like to grow up to do all of the things they were listing. Hopefully I'll get there in the end. <laughs> Yeah, I don't, don't have any big career things right now to list. Uh, but yeah, no, I grew up watching Classic Who when I was really, really little and, you know, coloring all over VHS covers with crayons. Yeah, and we're still going to talk about yeah. that. <laughs> yeah, sorry, Trial of the Time Lord. Um, yeah, but I grew up on the classic and DVDs and such, and then when the new series came around, I became pretty much as curmudgeonly as these guys in middle school, so... <laughs> Yeah, definitely a fan of the classic and a huge Big Finish nerd. And I would have to say my favorite doctor is Paul McGann. What did you do, Josh? (laughs) (laughs) We are going into our second round, and we're going to kick off uh, really what we're doing this whole episode, and that is embracing the randomizer. I mentioned that Tom (laughs) Baker (laughs) is my favorite, and I love the idea of the randomizer, and that's my favorite type of Doctor Who story where he lands and has no idea where he is and doesn't really care. Um, So we're going to do that with this entire podcast. It's all going to be randomized. Um, So to kick us off, we are going to randomly talk about a couple episodes of the classic series of Doctor Who. And we will randomly generate those episodes. And whether we've seen them recently or not, we're going to come up with something to talk about. So, Pat, what are we talking about first? Eight. Eight. Do you have the list? I do. So That's uh, literally the first... I should even season. be able to yeah. know no, that. No, no literally. The first, t- first time we ever did the randomizer on the podcast, we got number eight. Uh-oh. Really? It's the Reign of Terror, isn't it? It is the Reign yes, of Terror. Yes, it is. The Reign yeah. of Terror. <laughs> we, so, we, our old D&D skills came to the fore and we rolled real low. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, we, we did this on episode three, I think. Yeah. Uh, three or four. Yeah. Uh, we talked about the Reign of Terror, which... Uh, if you're not familiar with it, it's a first Doctor episode from, the, I think, the first season or top of the second season. It's the very last, the very last, last of, first, season. Uh, first season. He's in France during the Revolution, during the Terror. Uh, so there's lots of uh, getting arrested by Republicans and thrown into prison. And, uh, it's just like today. Yes. <laughs> different sort of Republican. But yeah, very different. Yeah. Um, um, but, Barbara um, being threatened in creepy ways. That happens a lot to her. Yeah. <laughs> lots and lots of shots of uh, William Harton's double just walking down. Walking down the road. <laughs> we'll save Chatterton in the end. <laughs> I, I, I just like the thing where like they get kidnapped by the revolutionary people and are taken to Paris. And the doctor says, well, then if they're in Paris, then to Paris I shall go. And he just does his old guy sauntering down the road. <laughs> Meanwhile, in um, Paris, they're just all dead. Yeah. <laughs> Long ago. Doesn't the first doctor end up on like a chain gang or something? He gets pretty. Yeah, he, yeah. he, he winds up like taking off some road crew boss for prisoners or something. Yeah. It's like, okay, well, you're helping us now. And he gets kind of press ganged into like, you know, shoveling. And then he winds up hitting the guy over the head with a shovel. Yes. <laughs> yeah, he's out hitting guys on the head. <laughs> Bill Hartnell was. Also the first doctor. Yes. <laughs> 
We've come a long way. It was, it was an oddly violent thing for the first doctor to do. Well, Susan yeah. did say that the French Revolution was his favorite period of yeah, history. Yeah, I always found that really strange. I mean, they needed someone to know a lot about the period, and Barbara had already done that yeah. with the Aztecs, and it would just be weird. It's like, oh, let me guess, Barbara, you also know everything about blah, blah, blah. I think it was a way of like uh, explaining, like because he, he masquerades as like one of the the new republic oh, officials. That's, that's right. Yeah. And, I, and I think it was just a way to like explain like how he can do that. Because that was back before the doctor could just when do there needed to be. Yeah. <laughs> and now it's just he's the doctor. Yeah. I yeah. think it's the glee that uh, the first doctor takes from hitting someone over the head with a shovel that makes that scene. <laughs> he's so proud of himself. <laughs> and again, that no one would have thought to do that. <laughs> Might be Bill Hardnell coming through. Yeah. <laughs> I remembered to hit him. It has been a while since I've seen this episode. I haven't seen it since we did it for the podcast, and that's got to be three or four years ago now. But I remember it as being one of my favorites from this period. It's a pure historical, which they were still doing at the time. So we had done the Aztecs, and we were doing Reign of Terror, and we'd do a few in the future until they started to peter out. When the show really embraced its identity as a science fiction or science fantasy show. But here, they're still doing historicals, and they're doing the particular flavor of Doctor Who historical, which they're still doing in this most recent season that you can see with things like Rosa, where it's a story that you would expect a young kid to know or a teenager or a preteen, because they probably all had Tale of Two Cities assigned to them at some point in their in their education, or at the very least would have learned the rudiments about the, the French Revolution. So same with the Aztecs, same with Marco Polo, probably you could expect that most of your audience would be at least passingly familiar with this. And this is really French Revolution through Charles Dickens. This is, it's, guillotines and, and mob crowds and things like that. Uh, so it doesn't really like get into the politics of the entire thing. It's it's called the reign of terror and that's what we're supposed to get from this period, not, you know, the the necessity of destroying the, the monarchy, which was <laughs> it had to happen at some point or another. Ooh, not but, so political, Pat. <laughs> yeah, I, 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 too soon. I prefer Josh. <laughs> I prefer Doctor Who when it wasn't so political, you know, when they were just, you know, overthrowing monarchies and things. Yeah. <laughs> By coincidence, I'm reading a biography of Napoleon at the moment. <laughs> oh, wow. So I actually know more than I usually do about no, the French Revolution. at the moment. He's, it's yes, in his it's lap right when now, things get dull. Our, our listening audience can't see this, but yeah. <laughs> um, in retrospect, one of my favorite things about this story is just because Doctor Who's been going on for so many years and there are so many things. It's like Ian and Barbara are like, oh, we just saw Napoleon. And then, of course, big finish. Oh, did you know he actually teamed up with Davros and the Daleks to do this? And I'm sure there's like a fourth story in some like book that he was like aligned with someone else. And I just Napoleon? love I love trying to weave it all together. I'm like, yeah. oh, this is before he ran into Napoleon Davros. Napoleon would team so. up with Davros. That's preposterous. <laughs> Cybermen, I could see. Um, there, was, there was a lot of brain swapping. I don't really know. I don't remember how that one ended. <laughs> should we generate one more? Yes, we should. We've gummed I over am. the French Revolution. <laughs> if you want to know more of our thoughts on the French Revolution, listen to episode three, Old Guy Walking. I think it's four. Is it four? Because our first three were like... You know what's scintillating? Middle-aged men trying to remember which episode of the podcast <laughs> that they did three we discussed this on. 47, Josh. 47. Oh. Does anyone in the audience know automatically off the top of their head what was the 47th Doctor Who serial? We'll give you a prize. The Crotons. Oh. oh. Second Ooh. Doctor. The Crotons. It was audible, painful noises made. <laughs> I've seen it, and I don't remember a lot about it except the Crotons themselves. They're, they're bad. They're bad. They're bad. As in badly realized or... They're bad, they're bad, they're really, Evil. really bad. 
That wasn't an early Robert Holmes one, was it? Did he write that? I think he might have. It's the. It's that or the Dominators. It, it, it's the, the weird crystalline beings the that are stealing smart kids to like drain their brain power. Uh, they, I think or just to power yeah. their. I'm, I did a watch yeah. through of the whole series last year, and now I'm kind of glad I did. Um, yeah, good. <laughs> but, um, <laughs> Fill us in. So they, they were trying to power their spaceship, which probably also doubled as a weapon. That always seemed to, and to make more crotons with brains. <laughs> that, that was really it. I'm not, I don't think I'm forgetting anything. I think that's just as far as it went. All, all I can really remember offhand is the scene where the second doctor has to take the computer quiz to see if he's smart enough to be accepted <laughs> into the croton area, and he gets all weird, nervous, and makes mistakes. Oh, <laughs> he just he doesn't test well. Test anxiety. It's that. It's yeah. that nervous, scaredy cat second doctor thing. Oh, oh, this infernal machine. What am I doing? Oh, oh, my well, we yeah. all learn in different ways. Yes. Uh, of course, the Croton's best appearance is in Lawrence Miles' novel, Alien Bodies. Yeah. If you guys haven't read that, I'm going to spoil mm-hmm. this little joke for you, but everyone on the planet is awaiting the arrival of what is clearly the Daleks. They're going to come, and everyone's afraid that the Daleks are going to be there. And when it lands, it turns out that it was a Dalek spaceship, but it's been infested by a Croton, which has killed the Dalek and has oh. taken over, over the ship and is there for reasons of its own. It, it, it's so really, it's fascinating because he makes the crotons like really badass. Very and it's really interesting. Thank it's, you, Doctor it's Who Expanded Universe. Part yeah. of a crystalline thought matrix, and you get first-person chapters from the point of view of the croton. Yeah. <laughs> Very experimental 1990s Doctor Who fiction stuff. I wish the listeners could see the audience and how unconvinced they are <laughs> by this idea. They are just staring blankly at us. Yeah, like, like the weird blocky shapes that they take in the Crotons is just a form they assume when they're, they're dealing with humanoids. Yeah. Like normally they have no set form and can just kind of grow into like weird crystalline shapes. It's a crystalline matrix, like the Mandra- yeah. Mandragora helix. Yeah. <laughs> We could also talk about Croton, the soul of a Cyberman, the backup feature from <laughs> Doctor Who magazine. Uh, his name was Croton for some reason. He was a Cyberman, and he had a conscience, and he was a good guy. There were many episodes about his in the backup features of Doctor Who magazines for years. So Doctor what, what have we learned about the Crotons here today? I think we've learned that we'd Not be much. willing to talk about anything other than the Crotons. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I think we filled out a couple minutes. <laughs> yeah, I, think I don't know. You really said galloping gobstoppers or something along those lines in the story. I remember that. Yeah, his expressions. You remember galloping gobstoppers? Very <laughs> story. Something, something very old Batmanish. <laughs> <laughs> Round three, and what is round three? Round three, uh, so we have a uh, round structure that we call Special Topics Dalek, uh, in which we put out there for general discussion just a thing, like uh, who was the best companion, or uh, I don't know, we've been doing this, uh, (laughs) a topic, any kind of topic related to Doctor Who. So what we're going to do today is Joshua's idea, so if it doesn't work, we're going to blame him. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> well, things have gotten ugly fast on this podcast. <laughs> You're watching the cleavage within the podcast community here. We got to watch Get Up My World's last podcast. That's great. <laughs> Table flipping begins now. <laughs> um, so we are going to generate uh, this topic randomly, and we're going to do it in a more formal debate style right. where we're going to take a pro and con stance on whatever we generate. Um, and I've got a random word generator, and, and we're going to debate whether Doctor Who has become too much of obnoxious. Has it become... that Really? <laughs> That's yep. really the word that it... Man. Obnoxious. 
These guys are on the pro side, yeah. um, and we're going to argue against that. It's really in your wheelhouse too, isn't it, Calvin? Yeah. Uh, so you and I believe that Doctor Who has become too obnoxious. What do we mean by that? Do we think that it's uh, obnoxious, like uh, kind of in a frat boyish sort of way, like a, <laughs> <laughs> like a just in your face, rude? Uh, it's attracting too much attention to itself. To itself. You know, it like, demands hey, so look how great we are. We're Doctor Who. Ooh. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I agree. Yeah. I agree with this position that you're taking, Kelvin. <laughs> well, so, um, somewhat unusually for a Kelvin Hatley position, um, you're criticizing it for being just kind of too... <laughs> what is that? Obnoxious. I know, but how? It's because... You know, it's like, like, you used to be able to just turn on Doctor Who mm -hmm. and have it on the background right. while you do any number of other things and get on with your life. Yeah, now it just... Now, now it demands all your attention. It's got Rosa Parks on it. Here, we got Rosa Parks on it. Yeah, it's like, now we have to pay attention to it because yeah, it's doing an important We're socially thing. meaningful. We have a lady doctor. It's not just blowing up monsters or nothing. Exactly. No, it's not, not, yeah. It's no, virtue it's, it's, signaling. It's, it infected our lives where we can't separate it. That's right. It's it's full of it. it's full of itself. It's obnoxious, Scrimshaws. <laughs> well, I'm gonna have to argue uh, the opposite of that. I don't think I think there is so much more room for Doctor Who to become obnoxious. Uh, they, they have not reached the ceiling yet. In fact, it has dialed back the obnoxious. It is Doctor Who is currently at its most passive. Yes. Right now, it isn't asking you to participate at all. The stories have become simplified. If anything, this is the uh, current season to watch while doing anything, while recording a podcast. We should just have it on in the background right now, and you can still easily engage with it. We have probably the most delicate, least obnoxious doctor in a long they, time. They, it's shifted forms of obnoxiousness. I mean, in the Ninth Doctor era, you had farting aliens. Farting aliens were obnoxious. Bad. Yeah, those were obnoxious. Colin Baker's coat was obnoxious. Yeah, back in the day. I still, and now I, I still like that coat. Mm. Clearly taking oh, a long stance. Oh, look, you got one applause. He has a blue one. If that makes anyone feel better. <laughs> I don't have anything to wear. I'll just put on this quilt. <laughs> <laughs> I think um, I, that Doctor Who is not obnoxious simply due to the fact that it's willing to not even be on the air for a year. It's, <laughs> it's about as the, the least intrusive. It's like, it's okay. I'll just go in the corner for a year. Don't mind me. <laughs> I think I'll be over of, here not making money. I think there's a lot of obnoxiousness about doing a special on New Year's Day and like, yeah, that's it for the year. We're good. Now, if this had been <laughs> Doctor Who fans have become too obnoxious. Well, that, that <laughs> yes, okay. Oh, you're changing the question on us. Very, no, very no. clever debate tactic. <laughs> well, give, give, me a, give me an adjective I can really get behind here. Jeff. All right, so uh, let's get the audience's uh, view. Has Doctor Who become too obnoxious? Yes, by round of applause. <laughs> no one! <laughs> Well, thank you for your As support. A, okay, so by definition, unless everyone just doesn't have hands in the audience. <laughs> <laughs> they could be Daleks. They could be Crotons. Slap your plungers together. I'm going to yeah. assume that uh, our you, side has won. You won that yes. one. Yes. All right. Yeah, yeah. Won that one. For Yay. Now, Nothing like a random victory. Uh, this, this is, there was a time in my life when I thought I wanted to be a lawyer, and this structure is making me realize I really 
would be a terrible one. Yeah. yeah. Um, uh, you argued a position you did not actually hold, and you did it pretty well. Yeah. <laughs> and if you were a lawyer, you'd still get paid, even if you lost. Well, that's the great <laughs> yeah, thing. Yeah, Everybody yeah. deserves a defense. Uh-huh. All right. We're going to keep this structure for one more debate. Has Doctor Who become too erect? All right, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> You're I think kidding I, me. I, I no. think blade, by definition, no. A random adjective generator. <laughs> with a obnoxious and erect? <laughs> Is that too repetitive of obnoxious? <laughs> Do a different one, yes. John. You've got to be kidding me. New destination. I'm just going to say I would have argued. No, I, we don't even want to know. All right. <laughs> well, I, I generated three just in case. So oddly, uh, the next one is elastic, yeah. which certainly helps being erect. And we'll, we'll go to the next one. Thoughtless. Has, is Dr. Who <laughs> too better. thoughtless, or has it become too thoughtlessly elastic and erect? I would like, <laughs> I would like to argue that the... No, wait. The, how do I even phrase this? The, the show has become more elastic, but not too elastic. Perhaps mm. it's not elastic enough, so I guess that's what I'm arguing. We're sticking with elastic. All right. So you're gonna I'm sticking that. with elastic. It, it, you know, it, it, it's a it's a show that can encompass pretty much any type of story you want to tell. You know, it goes through all of time and space. Exactly right. Yeah. And for all of this most recent series kind of disappointments, one thing that it has done very well, I thought, was make the concept of historical Doctor Who more elastic. So we went to. India during the partition, we went to the American South, and these are things that the previous uh, installments of the show has not touched. And some of the books have. All the gunfighters. Yes, gunfighters. But that's not American South. (laughs) (laughs) And not Civil civil Rights Era South. This was back when we had, like, America just had Greek choruses wandering around singing ballads. About Johnny Ringo. Yeah. I really like that episode, but we're getting off track here. (laughs) I, I guess what I mean to say is that it's always been white person storybook history up to this season, and now it has moved beyond that. I don't, we can argue about the merits of whether it's done it well or poorly, but these are stories that can now be told within the context of televised Doctor Who. Now, and there's been Big Finish, and there, there's been novels and stuff that have touched on real history to that degree. But So I like the fact that the show is being more elastic. I don't think it has become too elastic. Well, uh, by the parameters of our gimmick, I have to argue against that. Yes. I am going to say, well, yes, Doctor Who has uh, shown a surprising elasticity this season. It has perhaps stretched farther uh, than it is capable of doing quality episodes in those areas. It's stretched beyond its narrative ability. Beyond what Doctor Who is about. Yes, and so we get something that we might totally... Um, like in concept, but not recognize it as Doctor Who. There's such a thing as too much elasticity. Underwear? That's uncomfortable with too much elasticity. Um, Are you comparing Doctor Who to underwear? Yes, I am. You try to stretch something too much, it breaks. It it does, finally. Kind of like this debate. And finally, we can only hope that Doctor Who gets its undies snapped. (laughs) And it comes back. Uh, It can stay out there. Someone's just got to come and give Doctor Who a big old snap. It's been stretched out, but it hasn't put on the weight to 
fill it out. I'm still in an underwear uh, you're, yeah, area. Okay, you're right? really Go riding this metaphor. Yeah, why, why not? Because once you've got a metaphor like underwear, it's what I was going to use for the erection argument, So, I, but I just stuck with it for elasticity. <laughs> just, just repurpose <laughs> really, yeah. yeah. We really never have discussed the doctor's underwear preferences. <laughs> Let's put a pin no, in the doctor's briefs. And, Let's put yeah. a pin in the doctor's Granny underwear. panties. Put, put, want, put a pin in Yeah, it has question marks on it. We know that. So um, <laughs> we shall move on. You think that the current iteration of the show has, has gone beyond what Doctor Who can do in a quality way? Yes. Because of stories like Rosa and uh, Demons of the Punjab? I think it is not shown that it has the narrative structure to find out what sort of stories you can tell there and not be predictable. Or not have a totally <laughs> passive Doctor. Yes, where the Doctor cannot possibly intervene in a in a way that makes her proactive or heroic. Well, we have the one situation where in Rosa where it's a great change, like there's a reason for her to do it, and it is a, one of the great moments of the season when she does not act, but it has become the template. We are seeing every episode yeah. through rosa-colored glasses. Oh. Uh, my little pun. Um, but, then, but it's become a character trait instead of being isolated to this great moment in one episode that she is very passive. But isn't, hasn't that always been the case with the historicals? If you go back into real human history, then the doctor can't really do much by definition. It, it doesn't become inglorious bastards. Point. But that was something that was already a part of the historical record, the, the Roman fire. Like he says, you can't change even one line of history in the Aztecs, and that's mostly been the case for most of the, uh, the historical episodes. But when you go farther back in time and you don't end up in a, a sensitive period of time in which the viewers have actually lived through, you can play more fast and loose with history. You can sing musicals like in The Gunfighters. <laughs> you can do a pantomime version of history that, if not historically accurate, is at least in entertaining to watch and the doctor can play a bigger role in it or you know big finish did that whole story about the glam rockers like he could you can there have been yeah. like great instances of it's that, of glam glam yeah. glam it's that a offended audio. a lot of glam rockers it was not <laughs> they don't care they're they're, and as, they're as all a, dead and as a bonus on the disc there's a, a glam rock version of the doctor who with the oh it's fantastic I, it's on YouTube. It. All right, let's. Uh, we're <laughs> and running the out of time. Sequel, the Zygon who fell to Earth, which makes you cry, <laughs> and there's no glam rock in it. <laughs> let's take it to the vote. Uh, so, who agrees that Doctor Who has become too elastic? Not a person. <laughs> wow, you guys, all, you guys should all be friends. You have the exact <laughs> same opinions on everything. Go to the bar and buy yourselves all a drink when you're when we're done here, because you should get to know each other. Maybe we better. should stop pretending that we have an audience. <laughs> <laughs> Our listeners are They're gonna be suspicious. Okay, we're gonna move into round four, which round is a, four. another randomly generated discussion, but this time of the new series. So we are gonna randomly oh you and generated the number, number really ahead of time. One. You're it kidding. is one? No. All right. One. Good, because I lost my list. We're talking about Rose. Rose. There it is. Jeez. What can you say about Rose that hasn't been she said loved before? Bach, Beethoven, the Beatles. <laughs> and, no. We've talked about Rose a little bit on the show. We had, yeah. one, we had one episode where we talked about, I think, this in, in comparison to some of the other first installments. I think it's interesting to revisit Rose in that early series of Doctor Who because it looks so cheap now. And I don't even mean that in a judgmental way, but just how the new series itself has evolved and the um, stories that seemed, when I first watched Rose, seemed like it was moving at a lightning pace compared to classic Doctor Who, now seems a little more like a pace I recognize as classic Doctor Who. I think it was what 
was needed to start the new series off. I thought it was a good reintroduction of Doctor Who to, to a world that has, to some degree, forgotten about it. I could have done without the garbage can burping. Yeah, it was unfortunate. And I cannot believe I'm objecting to a burp joke, personally. Because that is your wheelhouse. Because that is, mm-hmm. you know, stupid juvenile humor. I want to dial in on this burp joke, because mm-hmm. we are dealing with a comedian here who loves uh, body function jokes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> How could they have pulled that off for you? Or do you object to it in just its existence? Ethically. Or was it a poorly <laughs> realized burping garbage <laughs> Joke. I thought it was out of tone for what Doctor Who was doing, and, and it made the, the autons look silly and not like as a threat. Well, it just ate a dude. <laughs> it just ate a dude, Kelvin. In, in a way, Rose was very much just uh, kind of a redo of Spearhead from Space, and to me, Spearhead from Space is marred by that last scene with the nesting consciousness, a.k.a. tentacles in a can. So, like, I think they all have that one little bit that we just try to forget about, and otherwise it's really, really good. I, I wouldn't mind if there was, like, an incident where the Doctor encountered some aliens and the language circuits in the TARDIS aren't working for just some broke. reason. And their language just sounds like burping. <laughs> okay, so, <laughs> let's talk about this first season a little bit, though. So, yeah. I, I, uh, What are we doing here, Pat? Yes, bur- we're talking about it. I'm, I'm expanding it. Okay. I'm making we're, it more elastic. We're, 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 <laughs> um, we're being as intellectual as possible. I want to stretch this <laughs> okay. to cover the Slovene's farting. And I want to I yeah, get Kelvin's parameters on this. So burping Aton, no. Slithing, farting, yes? Worse? Better? Uh, the audience seems to think that that's yeah, I, worse. Worse, I would say. You'd say it's worse. It's like you either have to make the, the story clearly a comic kind of story mm-hmm. and not, you know, like just sort of have like real serious threat to the earth stuff and then really juvenile comic relief. So I, I basically agree uh, with you, but I want to get a sense of Doctor Who's always been about conflicting tones. To a degree, there'd be like hyper violent yeah. stuff and ridiculous camp comedy. Yeah. And sometimes they coexist side by side. Now, was it specifically the burping Auton? Like, how does that differ than some of the other stuff that were a little more I have more to familiar? admit that, like, I think it was a middle aged man being set in my way. Actually, I wasn't that middle aged. It was a young man when I first saw <laughs> it being set in young his middle ways. Age. But that idea that for some reason body humor was that. years ago. Yeah, that seems oh crazy. God. Oh, oh my God. Oh, uh, we're all old. Let's stop recording and go to the bar. Um, no, New uh, Doctor Who was old enough <laughs> to get into high school already. I felt, I felt like body humor was that step too far. And I think Pat's argument is very valid that it's not out of the realm of tonal shifts in Doctor Who. At the same time, going back and watching the farting Slovene, you have to admire the commitment. It's not, not like one little Do thing. It's stop. just that adolescent idea, well, if it was funny eight times, it's going to be funny 24 they more times. A, they wrote a specific in-story reason yeah. for it, too. Yeah. The gas You're exchange in like, the suit is malfunctioning. Can you see Russell D. Davies sitting at his, at his computer going, you know what, I'm just... This is going to have to be a two-parter. I can't get all my <laughs> I can't get all my fart jokes into a single forty-five-minute episode. I, I think. Sorry, I'm going to kick out a script by Paul Cornell. I need more room oh. for farts. <laughs> the Foley artists are like, ah, oh, we can't handle. I, I think it's. Uh, I think it's good to note that um, it, the Celine's second appearance in the spin-off, the Sarah Jane Adventures, someone took him aside and said, "All right, the farts just have to go." We're going to just name drop why there are no farts. And then he was like, ah, Do they come up with a plot reason why there's no no, Well, no, one of the, they get unveiled. They're like, they get Vino or something? They they get unveiled, and then one of the kids is like, but none of you farted. And they have, like, some science explanation, and it's just like, oh, Lord. (laughs) 
We're using advanced anti-farting so, technology. <laughs> that was it. They had we're having word the cheap for it. farting fart jokes on the adult version of the show, and we're getting rid of them. <laughs> yeah, the I, I don't know, man. <laughs> lower yeah, we could afford all the farts. Yeah, That's yeah. The thing. it seems yeah. really so, unfair. So let's uh, maybe let's move this back. Anyway, to my favorite thing about Rose. <laughs> yeah. Is the farting? That was the best part. There's no farting, or well, you don't hear it anyway. This is good old working class comedy. The absence of farting suggested farting. Okay. (laughs) So when I first saw Rose, I saw it a couple of times. I was a little uncertain of it, partly for the burping. And partly for the kind of cheese ball, oh, we've established that Rose is uh, like a gymnast kind of thing, and so she does the Tarzan save at the yep. end. Yep. These things seem so quaint and adorable to me now after the <laughs> you know, 14 years of other things that I both love and dislike about New Who that it's, it's hard to even recapture how I felt in that moment. But I can compare it to when I saw the, the Paul McGann movie in 1996, and I'd been a big Doctor Who fan, but then I'd been off the air for a while. I watched half of the Paul McGann thing, and I had to go somewhere. I was like, yeah, whatever. I didn't care about her at all. But by the time it came back in 2005, I was super excited. I went out of my way to find copies of, because it wasn't easily available, at least not with what I had at the time. And part of that, I think, was because I was a Russell T. Davies fan. It sounds weird to say after all the all the <laughs> that I've given him over the years on this podcast. <laughs> but he had written Queer as Folk, which is, I still think, one of the greatest TV shows ever made. He also wrote Queer as Folk 2, which is terrible. Uh, and that sort of is a thing, a thing with Russell T. Davies over the years, is that he comes out strong with one solid season, and then it all just goes to after that. And that was, I sort of felt the way with Doctor Who. But that, that impulse, that love for RTD, carried me forward through that first season. And by the end of it, I really loved it. And I loved Christopher Eccleston, and I really loved Billy Piper. Yeah. It was only at, once David Tennant started to take over that I... Uh, developed a more troubled relationship with the show. <laughs> I think it's interesting in retrospect that, that that Rose does contain everything that is going to be fantastic about New Who and what is going to be problematic. A really strong idea of who the Doctor is, a really strong idea of the past without relying on it, a really strong companion character, but then a lot of excesses like the burping wheel of bin or the weird wacky scene where no one can tell that Mickey isn't made of wax or... Yeah. It, it makes Rose look super dumb. Yeah. yeah. Uh, should we do one more new series? 90. Is there a 90? This is going to be... <laughs> time Heist! Time, time heist. heist! I only saw that one. Peter Capaldi episode. We're going to just keep saying Time Heist! <laughs> I had a lot of fun with Time Heist. We've talked about this one on the podcast. Uh, yeah, we have, yeah. I think Time Heist is an underrated episode of Capaldi. Yeah. I think in general, uh, that first season of Capaldi w- was marred by the season finale and the season opener, which was rocky, and I thought most of the stuff in between was really solid, and that... What was the season opener? Deep Breath. Deep Breath, oh, okay. where they didn't really commit Oh, it's to, still the first season. They kind of apologized for casting him for 45 mm-hmm. minutes. Yeah, I, I, I liked the teller. I thought the teller was really fascinating. And it was just sort of fun to see the doctor hiding information from himself. That was really cool, and I like 
heist stuff like Ocean's Eleven and whatever. So it's kind of like the doctor doing Ocean's Eleven. Yeah, I'm, I'm just kind you. of inherently on board with I that. I like heist stories. Yeah, yeah, I think yeah. That that's, I like seeing how the individual operatives have their own special skill sets. It reminds me of a role of tabletop role-playing game stuff, as many things in contemporary Doctor Who do. This person has this skill set, this person is that character class, etc. And this person will betray you inevitably at some point. It also had that great, uh, the thing with the teller is like, if you think too hard, it'll find you. It's just one of those like classic like, Doctor Who anxiety things. It's like, whatever you do, you know, don't think about anything or you know, don't blink, don't breathe, don't whatever. It's all good. It's easy. Yeah, I don't remember if Moffat wrote it. I don't think he did, but it's a Moffat kind yeah, of shtick. Yeah, it's a puzzle. Yeah. Uh, and it makes, it's engaging all the way through. And it has that great final scene, which is rare for the Capaldi era because he's going to be so kind of lonely and, and mopey. I guess all the new series doctors are to a certain degree. But where they're all having, they're all eating in the TARDIS at the end and laughing because yeah. um, they won together. With that, the shawarma. Yeah, with the shawarma. Oh, wait, no, yeah, I, wait, yeah. no, that's uh, Avengers. <laughs> yeah. Well, I would like to see the 12th with the Hulk. (laughs) (laughs) Time Heist was good. I like Time Heist. Yeah, right. By round of applause, who likes Time Heist? Oh, we have an audience. I... It's about half and half. Yeah, it's good. Don't forget to drop the uh, applause in in post. Okay, we'll get a lot of applause. (laughs) (laughs) How about the ending of that, uh, you know, Tony Bennett MTV Unplugged? We'll put eight minutes of applause between each round in this podcast. Yeah. Our downloads will go way up. Yeah. Until they hear someone go, Thank you, I'm Tony Bennett. <laughs> <laughs> All right, we're going to go to our fifth and final round. Fifth and final round. Now, if you've uh, seen this podcast live before, we do this death zone round, and it is a live death zone where we take two ideas you filled out, you helped us with this uh, audience members, we take two concepts or characters or stories or objects from Doctor Who, put them in the death zone and see who will win, but since this is the randomizer episode You know what I think of these suggestions, what do you Joshua? Think? <laughs> oh, we're gonna We're gonna randomly reassemble these battles into random battles and Pat is really hoping that people wrote in a really even fashion. I'm doing my best. <laughs> but we'll have really nice foley. Um, so as Pat is ripping these up, we are going to create some other, some new combinations, and we are going to go into the death zone. And some of them really don't make any more or less sense than they originally did. <laughs> All right, so we're going to start... Uh, oh, God, you're actually mixing them up? Yes. yes. That's the, he didn't rip them apart to Just then tape them, them back together. together. <laughs> okay, we're going to get some weird ones here. <laughs> Can you give us a second while we explain the concept to Calvin? <laughs> we, want, I, we want to get weird ones. I, I've been... <laughs> I'm a frozen caveman. I don't understand your modern ways. Uh, all right. <laughs> Nothing like a 30-year-old SNL reference to save us from an awkward moment. <laughs> all right. Our first, first death zone battle, everybody, is canine versus star whale. Oh, yeah. Oh. Canine versus the star whale. I'm assuming that's front, uh, the beast below. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay. Below it sounds like whale. something Steve Parkhouse yeah. would have written for the sick doctor. Yeah, there's a deep yeah. cut. Yeah, no, All right. no one. All right, fine. Does the star whale have any vulnerable parts to its body? I mean, I mean yeah, is yeah. It, well, it, 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 what's like its weaknesses? It. The brain. Its brain is yeah. all, all uh, messed up in some way. That's yeah. It, it doesn't really. It was have, like kind of hobbled and lobotomized. And it really has no offensive abilities, right? It can't. 
it bite. Can, you can just sit there and zap it. It just sits in space. I think canine, canine can go in space. Canine has a laser nose. Yeah. Then the whale has a bad brain. Laser You're, nose versus bad brain. Gonna make a counterpoint <laughs> against canine. I'm sure, oh. like, the star, star whale, if it was, you know, in a hallway with grating, would be able to get through. <laughs> you don't need to leave the star whale in the TARDIS. So, so we're assuming the star whale is landbound? That makes it even worse than the star whale. <laughs> so well, why, if you're talking about a beached star whale Why would a terrestrial cetacean be called a star whale? So I gotta clarify, though. Is this canine Mark One, Mark Two, Mark Three, the one that Sarah Jane had in the Sarah Jane Adventures, or the one well, the that's animated in the Australian TV show? Oh, well, we that, don't, that don't talk everybody. about the Australian one. We're not going there. <laughs> I, um, oh, I've been watching them. It's all of them, all the canines combined into like one a, mega canine, like a mega canine, uh, a, yes. a phalanx of canines, a, yes, a, a Voltron of canines. Yeah. Well, then I think that's totally. It's, the, the canine Voltron is probably going to win that one. Yeah, yeah. Canine, I'm, I'm guessing. Canine wins. A canine Voltron is Hands amazing. Down. Canine wow. Star Whale. Out of here. All right. Uh, right. Amy's hair versus reverse the polarity of the neutron flow. Now, well, which, which is more versatile? Yeah. I uh, like Amy, but I'm trying to remember. Did she have multiple hairstyles? Has it been established? Okay, the sonic screwdriver doesn't work against wood. Doesn't work against hair. Doesn't work against hair. I don't that's, know. Don't, I'm going to guess no. Yeah. I'm going to... Protein versus cellulose, yeah. okay. okay. Yeah, but uh, if you're just talking getting yourself out of plot holes, Amy's hair doesn't really help much. You can't visualize reversing the polarity of the neutron. Oh, I can picture the third doctor just running up to Amy and just yanking on her hair and saying, I done it! We <laughs> <laughs> got it! Like, I, I, I'm trying to think of a scenario where like Amy's hair got them out of a situation like they floof it way up and you can only see her from like behind, from like the neck up, and so like Amy could be mistaken for a Yeti. <laughs> yeah, I, big finish is always. It's like that's literally. The end. Go on. I don't. I don't have any more. Oh, that's just. Uh, okay. Well, she, yeah. she did have to wear a wig though briefly, right? When she shaved her head for she, Guardians yeah. of the Galaxy. Yeah, she that's did. right. Yeah. 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 Wouldn't it be great if her hairdresser was like, "Let's reverse the polarity of the neutron flow." <laughs> <laughs> shaved her bald. Uh, as much as I love uh, Amy's hair, I think uh, reversing the polarity of the neutron flow is more applicable in more yeah. situations. I do love Amy's hair. But Sorry, yeah. Amy's the hair sonic. joins the yeah. star whale. Oh. Just draped over his big hobbled brain. Are we doing a bracket where like the winners are going to have to fight? We don't have time. For we don't that. have enough time. Yeah. Some some other day. Moon Dragon versus Mavellan. Singular Mavellan. Yes. One Mavellan. Oh, <laughs> one, that's gonna one, Rick James. Oof. That damn um, kill the moon thing again. For long-term fans of the podcast, you might remember that Kelvin's least favorite episode of all time is Kill the Moon. So, hates the moon need, dragon with a passion. Kelvin, you need to be impartial right here. The death zone is not about playing favorites. It's about life and death. So, Well, I, I, I would say a dragon the size, literally the size of the moon would probably kill a Movellan pretty quickly. I think that's pretty much done. I think, I, think, I, I think the mere, the, the mere gravity field yep. that the moon dragon would generate. All right, so the Movellan joins... This, Riding the star whale bareback and wearing Amy's hair. <laughs> Which right. would, you know, of course. In the losers. Yeah. Yeah. To you artists oh. out there. <laughs> yeah. I think I saw that in Artist Sally. Yeah. You can buy that for 25 All right. And bucks. so we are going to do um, 
this is kind of a similar concept, wibbly-wobbly, timey-wimey versus the sonic screwdriver. Okay. So can I say how much I hate that that's become like a thing in the cultural conversation, the wibbly-wobbly? No, the wibbly-wobbly, timey-wimey stuff, which is, it's like an infantile turn of phrase, but it's in such a good episode, and it's just become like, it's on T-shirts, it's on posters, it's, you know, people drive by my house yelling at me. (laughs) I'm sorry, that was one night, Pat. One night. It was Christmas, Josh. <laughs> it's the best night to do it. I don't have any plans. So I'm, fir- I'm, I'm firmly on Team Sonic Screwdriver. So I think on all fronts, Sonic Screwdriver does more. It's definitely more versatile. It, um, while there are a lot of t-shirts with wibbly-wobbly, timey-wimey, Sonic Screwdriver has clearly sold more toys. Um, <laughs> Ooh, yeah, this is kind of a merchandise game. Yep, I think... You know, wibbly-wobbly, timey-wimey is is like the great hand-wavy explanation of what would Doctor Who be without hand-waving. It is the reverse, the polarity polarity of the new series. It survived for almost 50 years without that turn of phrase. It did the timey-wimey stuff. Ah, now I'm saying it. <laughs> it was all a trick to get you to say it. Um, and if you, if you get him like to say Mr. it backwards, he disappears. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> I, I, I'm, going, I'm going with wibbly-wobbly just because it's like the great unknowable whateverness of the universe. I have to go with Sonic Screwdriver. I think we have shown that the Sonic Screwdriver has as much nonsensical versatility as wibbly-wobbly, timely well, wimey. Yeah, it's, I, I gotta go Sonic with Screwdriver. screwdriver-y. Okay, I'm voting you, Calvin. I'm going with Sonic Screwdriver. Hey, I got to override the randomizer on this one, uh, partly because it was very difficult to tear in a way that made any sense, and also because it was a good audience suggestion. It's the Talons of Wang Chiang versus the Claws of Axos. Mm -hmm. Not the stories, the actual Talons versus the Claws. (laughs) All right. I'm confusing Axos and Autons here. Yes, Axos, they're the uh, people in the skin-tight yeah. orange outfit. But they weren't, they weren't plasticky. No. Like the Autons. No, they weren't plasticky okay. like but the Autons. The in both, they in had both golden these eyes. Yeah, yeah, they had the golden eyes. In mm-hmm. both these stories, there weren't literal claws yeah, I know. or That's why talents. we got so a metaphor. Wow. It's a metaphor versus a metaphor. We have to be, we have to be elastic in our thinking here, Josh. <laughs> the, the Talons were... Like, well, the rats had claws that tore people up, yeah. and mm-hmm. there was the laser dragon thing that is probably the most literal analog to the talons. I'm like, going to argue that the metaphor is better used throughout the talons of Wing Chiang. Yeah. Talent, it, it also goes to that old, those old uh, racist Chinese stories with the talons of, in the tongs. Yeah, they were, know, the big fingernails. Of, that were, yeah. yeah. So it, it's deeply embedded in that tradition. Mm-hmm. And then the claws of Axos, I think, did Axos actually have big dumb claws? No, no, no. I don't remember. They just had bodysuits. No, yeah. on the walls. Did they? I thought, oh, they, I yeah, thought there no, was something right. in yeah. the ship, oh, right? Yeah, yeah. Okay. yeah. So there's actually I haven't claws. seen claws of Axos. Yeah. That, would be, really that would make really it a little better, because otherwise the episode's like the um, skin-tight suits of Axos, yeah, right. which doesn't... <laughs> the, the, the big ball. Really uh, Axos. Yeah, yeah. okay, um, well... I'm voting Talons. You think? Yep. You think talents? Yep. Instead of the claws? It's just because it's a better just, story. It's, it's not because a better it's, word. No, it's, it's a better sound. I actually really like Claws of Axos. Mm-hmm. And I, when cornered, I would fight 
about cause of access. But I think I think the talons just it's just a nicer sounding word. You it get sounds talons. Yeah, yeah, talons. Talons. Talons versus claws. claws. You know, my, my cat has claws and he's cute. Yeah, the but, um, the you know, so it doesn't it's not that scary. Uh, the macro the macro have claws. Well yeah. I'm yeah. I, I'm afraid to say anything good about talents of Wing Chiang in front of a room of people in a microphone, so out of fear I'm gonna say claws of access. <laughs> Yay. Uh, I'm, so gonna, it, I'm gonna go with talents. Okay, so it's, yeah, I agree it's, with you, Josh. You right. know, I, give yeah. you, I give you a, lot of, a hard time. It's a tie. Yeah. Thank you. But before we go, we got to do this one last one because this is too good. It's John Nathan Turner oh. versus Handles. Ooh. <laughs> <laughs> Handles, the, the head of the cyber band. Yes. That, yeah. Boy. Um, I, Handles was a better producer. I mean, I don't know that's what we're deciding. <laughs> Uh, I think Han, J and T was there every day. He showed I, I, I up. I think he handles, did the job. So did Handles for like he was the longest serving companion. <laughs> yeah, longest serving Doctor Who companion. Yeah, I mean they made him Handles stay in the role because that no other Cyberman head would take the role, just like J and T. And so uh, <laughs> devoted to his craft. Devoted to his craft. I think Handles would take a look at one of John Nathan Turner's shirts. And just like does not compute, and like smoke would come out. And I think he'd be more chill than that. I think he probably would say or do anything at all. <laughs> he just, he just. That is an like, interesting oh. choice of shirt. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think in, no in the love, spirit of kindness, no we just call it a Yes, I love Jan. I love the eighties. I love the eighties. It's just funnier to have handles win. You got to admit, right? <laughs> yeah. Handles winning anything is hilarious. Yeah. Yeah. Honestly, I think they get along like, really well. And, like literally, uh, like if someone just picked up handles and like chucked them <laughs> at, at John Nathan Turner and like bam, <laughs> or vice versa. Yeah. <laughs> so I picked up John Nathan Turner and threw him in hands. <laughs> It's a draw, ladies and gentlemen. Thank you so much for uh, being at our podcast. Thank you. Uh, thank you. You can find thank us. Thank you so much. Uh, in, in just a couple hours, we will be providing entertainment at the halftime show here at the console room, so please join us there. And listeners of the podcast, we'll be back in a couple uh, weeks with new episodes. Uh, yeah, we're at getoffmyworldpodcast.com. Yep. You can find us on iTunes. Uh, follow us on Facebook and Twitter. Yep. And uh, until then, I'm Joshua. I'm Pat. I'm Kelvin. I'm Aaron. And, and we're, we're saying... Get off my world! Thank you. Thank you, everyone.